Welcome along to another episode of the Football Funders podcast brought to you in association with the Proper Blokes Club and let us talk mental health. I'm Ryan, I'm back and so is Dan. How are you doing Dan? I'm back. Sorry wrestling fans, I was jumped into an Eric Bischoff song. Um, yeah I'm good, how are you? Yeah I'm good thank you. Quickly before we get started just a quick announcement. We have revitalised our YouTube channel it has been redesigned and about half of our back catalogue is now on there. So go onto YouTube, search for Football Funders Podcast, subscribe and like some of the videos, give us some comments on some of the stuff that we've done from the past. And as soon as the back catalogue is up to date, we will start uploading our weekly shows onto YouTube as well. I've already been asked if we're going to be doing live on YouTube. Yeah. At this time, no because we don't quite have the correct equipment to do it. But when we do have the correct equipment or can afford the correct equipment, because it's quite expensive, we may do in the future. It's something that we have discussed and something that we would like to do. You can still find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor, which is our main platform. And we will be coming on to new platforms soon. And obviously go to our Football Funders page, F-Ball funders on Twitter and interact with us there as well. So moving on to tonight's show, we are going to talk about Mikel Arteta and Arsenal because they've surprised everyone and they're top of the league after seven games. Now, obviously, it's only seven games, but it's around about the time that the table starts to take shape and you can see who's doing what moving forwards into the season. Now, Mikel Arteta seems to have been a bit of a controversial figure for Arsenal fans. One minute he seems to be God, the next minute he seems to need to be fired. I've seen Piers Morgan change his mind so many times on Mikel Arteta on Twitter. What's your take on Mikel Arteta as a manager, Dan? Is it bad how I honestly don't know? I was a firm believer, I think if you go back to some of the older podcasts, my opinion of him changed last season before, to the early point of last season and before that, it was kind of he's building something and I actually thought last year was the year that he should have shown it. And I really thought his time was up at Arsenal. I was shocked that they gave him, especially when you missed on Champions League like they did. It was shocking that he was still there. But he's got a philosophy and maybe it was just a case of that Arsenal have always been a bit stingy. Backing him correctly and letting him kind of have a bit more of a say, which I think they changed their transfer, the way they do transfers last year, didn't they? I think Arteta had a bit more of a say this year in who was coming in. And you could tell it's made a difference. There definitely does seem to be a bit of a substantial difference over the last couple of years. I mean, I've actually looked into this because my opinion is, is I actually think he's doing a very good job and he seems to be building something quite substantial. So if you go back to the summer of 2020, they did give him money to spend. Some of his signings weren't great. But Gabriel is the key one out of 2020. Thomas Party as well, but obviously he's been very hit and miss because of his injuries. They didn't really do anything in January apart from bringing Martin Odegaard, who I was a bit critical of when That's they signed. as well at first, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I was a bit critical when they brought him back and paid 32 million because they signed him the following summer for 32 million. But I wasn't convinced by him during his loan spell that he was going to be particularly significant. But in 2021... They did seem to back him quite heavily. Aaron Ramsdale came in. Takahiro Tomiyasu came in. Ben White came in. Nuno Tavares, Albert Sembi, Lokonga and Martin Odegaard all came in. 
out of all of those, I still maintain that they overpaid for Ben White. I still don't think he was worth 50 million at the time they signed him. But I, I think, think it, now either. <laughs> out of all of them, I think only Nuno Tavares has been the one that hasn't done particularly well when they've had to loan him out. Was that fair to say? What year are we talking? 21, 22? Yeah, so they've been there a good, what, going on two years now? Two years. Yeah, I mean, Tava- and even then with Tavares, he never was given enough for a game, did he? So, yeah, I mean, if you look down the squad that they already have, and then you look at the additions they made that summer, so Tommy Asu, Ramsdale, Odegaard, Ben White to a degree, they made such a big difference to the way that they played before. Tommy Asu was miles better than Cedric or Hector Bellerin. Ramsdale was a massive improvement on Bernard Leno, who looked like he'd just shut the bed. Odegaard is probably the best midfielder Arsenal have had since Cazorla left, which people would argue probably Ozil, but I think Odegaard's better. And Ben White, as much as he's not been like sensational, he's better than some of the awful... One thing I would say about Arsenal, and it takes us slightly off topic, but it does come back to Ben White, Arsenal have had a tendency for years now to have god-awful defences. And I think for years, it's been their defence that's let them down, not being a good side. I'm watching Joanne DeJuru in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, who's the other one? Sebastian Squalacci and why? Ben White is maybe not the best defender in the world, but it's better than any of the crap they used to have. And as you said, when they brought in Gabriel, that's a huge adding to the squad. And then Tommy Asu. Like last year alone, just bringing in Tommy Asu and uh, Ben White, that makes such a difference to a back four. I also think that he Arteta deserves credit for waiting patiently for William Saliba because he was Saliba. already there when he took over, <laughs> sent him out loan for the first season. He came back, they had a look at him and decided he obviously wasn't quite ready, sent him out on loan for another season. And this season, it's paid dividends so much so that Ben White, who last year was one of their better centre-halves, is currently having to play right back because he can't get in the central of defence. Till Tommy Asu's fit. So you've <laughs> again got to say that that is good management from Arteta's point of view, that he waited for a player to, to develop before chucking him in. The counter-argument to that for me would be he's recently come under fire because he gave a 15-year-old their Premier League debut. I would argue that a 15-year-old should not be playing in the Premier League. No matter how talented they are, they're not fully developed as a human being yet. And if it went horribly wrong, it could very easily destroy a young player's career before it gets started. What do you think about him playing a 15-year-old? Didn't he come on with like a minute left? I think it was about 10 minutes left or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'd have the to look up. The game was over. The game was over. The game was won. But... I mean, I have a, a problem with if you're... I'll give you the perfect example. Again, sorry for making it a Cholton thing. But Cholton were losing 6-0 once away at Sheffield Wednesday, away at Huddersfield. And our manager thought it was a good idea to debut a striker who's 17 years old and basically crashed him on debut. That, I agree with you totally. I think in, in this situation, I think it's just football fans moaning for the sake of it. I understand, like, as I said, if, you're in a, if it's 1-1 and it's a game, or even if it's 1-0, fine. If, if it's a game that means nothing and you're just chucking them on because you've already won the game, I'm not that bothered. Going back to transfers, I actually think as well, if you look at the outgoing from last year, he moved on a lot of the players that, I want to say, like people saw as problematic. 
But I think that we all kind of were like, why are they there? Like David Luiz, Abamian, and Kalasanach. Let's have a look. Hector Bellerin. Hector Bellerin's not been good for years. Um, but yeah, Abamian was a problem maker from apparently. I mean, this is just what's being suggested. Well, ironically, Chambers, turned up at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Callum Chambers not good enough. Kalasanach. Don't know how he's there in the first place. Villian, it just never worked for him at Arsenal. Uh, he's back at Fulham now, so we'll see if he does anything. David Luiz was, he'd either be the best player on the pitch or the worst by a country mile. And they got, I think Torreira was out that year. Bellerin went out. He moved on, like Maitland Niles and Reese Nelson out on loan. So uh, he clearly had an idea of what he wanted. And even going into this year, like moving on Pepe, who's, Pepe was a signing that, Arsenal fans were so happy about and he, he stunk the bed out. But I mean, well, I'm sure we'll move on to this year's transfers, but he carried on kind of the the outs again, like Lacazette went on, Gwenduzi went out, Leno, Toyera went out again, Bayerin moved on for free. So he has carried on that kind of natural turnover that he's seeing. And I think he's starting to see the, the rewards. I also think he's... The quality of the, the players that he's bringing in is far superior because if you look at Gabriel Jesus, who they brought in this summer, uh, Zinchenko, who they brought in, and Fabio Vieira, who they brought in, they are all far significantly improvements on the likes of Lacazette and Pepe. Well, even even like someone that we've sung praises of, Kieran Tierney, who we were like, oh, he's Arsenal's best player, he's really good. Zinchenko is a step above Kieran Tierney in that role. To the point where Kieran Tierney, like, is being used as like a rotation centre back because he can't get in ahead of Zinchenko. And even the other lad they signed, Marquinhos, he probably made his debut in the cup in the. Uh... Oh, they might be in Europe, you know. I think they are. I'm sure he made his debut not long ago for Arsenal, and was fine. You know, he looked. I think they played in Zurich. I'm sure it was in Zurich. He's definitely he one off, for the future. And he and he scored on his debut, so that's all you can ask for, really, on his debut. I think it was. Gabriel Jesus, for me, is the big one. I think he's the missing mm. link. He's the the striker, <laughs> the mobile striker that they wanted. I championed Gabriel Jesus on this podcast previously when he was at Manchester City. And everyone was like, no, they don't have a striker. They don't have a striker. They seem to have sold a very no, good striker I mean, to, to Arsenal. What we were saying was that he doesn't play up front, which he didn't for Man City. He played on the wing. Now he's been allowed to play up front and he's doing well. The Brazilian manager actually said recently that Gabriel Jesus said to him that if he's to be selected by the Brazil squad, he'd like to play wide. Well, I think the Brazil manager doesn't need to listen to Gabriel Jesus and play him through the middle well, like they do at well, Arsenal. He hasn't listened to him because he's not in the squad. <laughs> he's not in the squad after the season he's having. He's not in the Brazil squad. They've gone with Neymar, Roberto, Firmino, Richarlison, Vinicius Jr., Rafinha, Anthony, Matthias Cuna, Rodrigo, and Pedro, who's a youngster. Who would young you young. rather have? Would you take Gabriel Jesus or would you take Firmino? I take them both. Yes, I, take I would both too. And, if you, if and you and had I, the choice, what style of football we play? Well, just based on form, I'm taking Gabriel Jesus myself. Well, yeah, personally. but I think they're different players. Depends how you want to play. If you're looking for. I think for Brazil, I can understand why they all pick Firmino. I'd still bring Jesus. I personally would pick Jesus, but for Brazil and the way they play to feed Neymar and Rafinha and Vinicius Jr., it probably would be better to play Roberto Firmino to let them to do what they want. And Firmino could drop in the middle and pick up the ball and where Jesus can come on when you need a goal because 
those kind of strikers there that I've just named for Brazil, or the advanced players, it's really only Firmino that's going to play through the middle. Kuna, Anthony, Rodrigo, Neymar, Vinicius Jr., Rafinha, Richarlson are all kind of wide players that can go centre, but they're all wide. And I don't know the Pedro lad. I don't know. He's 25. He's at Flamingo. I don't know. Nothing they about not called it. up Martinelli either. No. I do like Martinelli. I think he's a very good young player. Martinelli, Brazil under 23s because he's still quite young, isn't he? So, Arsenal have been the surprise package so far in the fact that, granted, it's only seven games gone, but they are top of the league ahead of Manchester City by a point. A Manchester City with a frightening player in Haaland who looks even better than I thought he was, which is a disturbing thing to say. Do you think Arsenal can challenge for the title this year? No. (laughs) I'll say no because, and it's again, it's a prove-it kind of thing, Arsenal don't do well against the big sides if they can prove to me they're going to be different then I'll believe in them but they went to Old Trafford and didn't get a result they have a tendency to go to the big places and foul do you think they're in a with a chance of finishing in the top two yeah because I think really right now Liverpool look like they're not going to be much Tottenham are inconsistent Chelsea are a mess at the moment let's be honest and Man United are, I'm still in prove it mode, man. Man United looked good, but I'm still kind of in that prove to me role. For Arsenal, yeah. Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon is the big one. They've got a run of fixtures now, which I believe is like Tottenham, Liverpool, Europa League, Leeds, Man City. Right. So ask me again in three games time. I'll tell you, <laughs> they might beat Spurs at home. Then I think it's Liverpool at home. I think, I think if I'm right, I think they're all at home. Oh, Man City's been postponed. So it, it's Liverpool, it's Tottenham at home, Bode Gimd, and then Liverpool. So if they can get, what, four points? You say, if you give them four points, they'd probably take it. But because they lost to Man United, are they still that team? That's what concerns me. But we'll see. Time will tell. I think they'll finish in the top three. I can't remember what our predictions were at the start of the season. We all had them in. We all, we all had Arsenal in fifth. Chelsea, like you said, are a mess at the moment. Liverpool seem to be very inconsistent at the start of this season, although I'm sure they'll come good towards the end yeah, of it. Yeah, I'm sure Liverpool will find... I wouldn't be shocked if the top four is... I think right now there's rumours that Conte is possibly going to go back to Juventus. I don't know if you've seen that today. No, I haven't. There's a rumour that Allegri is about to get the chop because Juventus haven't started well and they've made contact with Conte. And I think if Conte Ooh. leaves Spurs, not sure Spurs finish in the top four which makes room for Arsenal and probably, I'd say United over Chelsea because Chelsea have, Chelsea are shitting the bed left, right and centre. And have they time to correct it? I'm not sure. That's interesting. That's one I hadn't heard. I'm not sure whether they're going to go for that one or not because he does seem to be building something at Tottenham and he, more importantly, unlike previous managers, he's been given the licence and the funds to do something. they know if they didn't, he'd bugger off. Exactly. <laughs> I definitely think I can see Arsenal finishing in the top four comfortably. I think for, they've got a fair chance. As for Manchester United, I'm not sure. We're doing well at the moment. I've got to applaud Ten Hag for some of the changes he's made to the side. He's seen what the problems are and he's just put them on the bench instead of putting them in the first team. And it's paid off. But I'm expecting us to be indifferent this season. It's going to be a, a season of slow, steady progress, if anything. Now we're going to look at the other side of the table. And we're going to look at Leicester City because I don't think they've won a game yet. I think they've lost six, drawn one. 
Brendan Rodgers seems to have lost his... He's given up. Yeah, thank you. Given That's up. the best He's way given to put up. it. Yeah. He seems to have lost his love of football, doesn't really seem to be making any headway anywhere. No so one's I've... a great character anymore, which is a real shame. So I've had a look at the transfer signings because obviously I think everybody knows. <laughs> they haven't made any. <laughs> well, no, this is the thing. I think everybody is aware now because the Leicester owners came out quite recently and said, look, because of everything that's happened over the past few years, we need to consolidate the club. We can't be spending crazy money. I think it's one of the reasons Yuri Tillemans hasn't got a new contract as well because maybe they're not going to pay him as much as he wanted. But I have gone back and had a look, and I must admit there is a disturbing trend in terms of recruitment since Brendan Rodgers arrives. Now, obviously, that's not completely on Brendan Rodgers, but you would think he would be pretty much in charge of who he recruits. If you go back to 2019, when when he first got there, they signed Dennis Prayat from Sampdoria for £18 million, which I don't think has been a success. I can't remember him being any good at all. But what's more disturbing is some of the players that left. Harry Maguire left for £80 million and Calvin Bassey left for free. But no defenders were signed to replace what they sold. Well, Calvin Calvin Bassey was never a first-team player, so that one doesn't really count. Yes, but if you look at him a couple of years later, he's just gone to Ajax and he's now playing in the Champions League football and they yeah, but at the time he, Rangers he like made a, a loss. Rangers made, I think, seventeen million pounds on him yeah. because they signed him for nothing. So the big argue, the biggest one there, obviously, is Harry Maguire going for eighty million pounds and then trying it. to make do with what they had, which was Sionchu, I think, at the time, and Johnny Evans and Wes Morgan, and is it Amarty? Yeah, even then he's a midfielder. He's a midfielder playing out of position. And then I had a look that season, didn't they? They Sorry? Spent a bit, they spent a bit of money that season because they brought in a. In the 2019 20 season, they only spent 18 million and all of that went on Dennis Pratt. So they only made one sign in. No, they, they signed James Justin, Jose Perez, Yuri Tillemans. According Dennis to 2019 20, yeah? yeah? Yeah, James Justin was signed on the 1st of July 2019. Jose Perez followed him on the 4th. All right. What website are you using? Wikipedia, but it's got its references. They ref- they reference it, don't they? Right. Okay. Well, trust your source then, because my source seems to be severely lacking then. Yeah. Because it's just ins. They're ins. James Justin from Luton on the first of July. Jose Perez from Newcastle. So James Justin was six million. Jose Perez undisclosed. Yuri Tielemans was undisclosed. Dennis Prayer is undisclosed. So. Right. I mean, then... yeah. There's no price tag on them, but. So they have been spending money then. So what well, they spent we... money that season. <laughs> what about the following season? Because mine says that they only signed two, but they spent about fifty-five million pounds on the two in Wesley Fofana and Timothy Castigno. But yeah, they sold Ben Chilwell at the same time. So I would argue that the quality at left back is not as good because you've got Justin James and Castigno in place of Ben Chilwell, and I don't think that's comparable, personally. No. And that was it. That was their window. And it took them like a year. Did, did they sign a centre-half to replace Maguire the no. same year? No, it was a year after they brought so in uh, Vestergaard. They brought in Vestergaard, and they brought in uh, Fafana as well, didn't they? 
Well, um, Vestergaard was the year after Fofana. Right, okay. So it took them a year to replace Harry Maguire and they signed him, signed someone young and inexperienced. And they brought in Vestergaard the following year to replace, I think it was also the year they had the injury crisis, wasn't it? Where Fofana was injured and Johnny Evans. And for me, Vestergaard, I don't think Vestergaard's very good. I was quite surprised when they signed him. Their best signing that year, because that, so going on to that year, that which, which was last year, mm-hmm. they brought in Patson Dacca, who was a bit of a shot in the dark. No, no good. Ryan Bertrand, who I don't remember playing for. Them, Again, he's not going to be comparable to Ben Chilwell. And then Addy Lutman on loan, who did Again, okay, but wasn't permanent like, signing. Wasn't special. Now he's playing for Atlanta really well. And then if you look yeah. at this season, they've sold Kasper Schmeichel, one of the best goalkeepers outside the top three, in my opinion. Who's and... not starting for Nick, by the way. He's not. <laughs> oh, dear. That's a bit bizarre. But they've sold him and replaced him with Danny Ward and bought in Alex Smithies. Neither <laughs> of these two uh, are Premier League goalkeepers. How do you expect anyone to do well? And on top of that, they've just sold Wesley Fafana and replaced him with someone I've never heard of from... Sweet. Sweet. I think it's from Reims or somewhere, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's French. Yeah. 15 million quid, and we've never heard of him. That's not to say he's... I don't think he started yet. ...going to be any good, but... And you could, I suppose you could argue that Wesley Fofana didn't have too much game time because of that horrific injury that he suffered. Mm. But it just seems to me like the quality of player is getting less and less. They're replacing poorer with poorer with poorer. Is that a fair? Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think they peaked, and they were hoping to try and kind of cling on, and they've not replenished their squad. From like, for example, Jamie Vardy, they tried to pack it around him with Ihanacho and Pats and Daki, but you've not really replaced him. I don't think they ever replaced Wes Morgan. They've never replaced Riyad Mahrez. They've now got to try and replace Kasper Michael. I wonder if it's a little bit, it's one of those kind of situations where the board are going, all right, we're just, it's a deep clean. Just deep clean. Get what we can this year and then maybe start rebuilding next year with what, what is likely to be a new manager, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, the danger for that is, is if they don't do something now, then they're not going to be in the Premier League to start afresh. They're going to have to do it from the Championship. And bearing in mind... They're going to lose Telemans for nothing, which is really bad business. It's something that you could level at the Glazers for what happened with Paul Pogba. Leicester have done the same thing with Telemans. Rather than get some money for him and just sell him now, they're going to let him run his contract out and, and lose him for absolutely nothing, which is a joke. But I think, I think it's, is it fair to say that Leicester punched well above their weight for several years and now they're crashing hard because they just haven't replaced quality with quality and they're now suffering the effects for it i mean yeah of course they were overachieved they won the league played in the champions league etc apart from the year they won the league when they won the league they had a chance to build on it that if they were going to be successful for a period don't mean winning things but kind of putting themselves in that top bracket they should have gone out that year and added depth i mean i know they lost Kante and Mares, which I mean, that's going to happen. But he didn't even try to replace them, but just the depth. Like that was a magical year for Leicester City. You can almost, you know, try to like Tottenham, for example. 
when Tottenham kind of broke into what now is like the top six mould, when I was a kid, that sound, this is going to make me sound up. When I was a kid, Tottenham weren't a top six side. They were a mid-table side. They were a good mid-table side, but they were a mid-table side. They got into those that top six echelons kind of under Harry Redknapp and they built on it and they built a squad that meant when they lost like Rafa van der Vaart or they lost Harry Kane, they had Peter Crouch, they had... Remember that, that you look at that kind of period, Berbatov to Defoe, even really through to Kane now, they always had like a rotation for every player apart from Modric, who was kind of the king. They always had someone because they built cleverly on them. I'm not sure Lesser did that. Was that partially maybe because of the, the sad accident that happened with their owner? Did that play a part? We, we don't know, but... I think it could have done, bearing it. in mind the pandemic that we shall not name for YouTube reasons, because now we're back on YouTube, they're being very very sensitive about what is on our content i've got to say as i've spent the last eight days uploading old shows <laughs> but this also comes back around to brendan rogers we've spoken in the past about brendan rogers not being able to take a team beyond a certain level so are we seeing brendan rogers not being able to take leicester beyond that point or is it the fact that he's not being given the materials to go to another level or is it a combination of both i think it's maybe a combination of both but i think it ends with brendan rogers is a huge yes man he'll do what he's given basically if he's given nothing he'll work with it if he's given signings he'll work with them i think that's going to come to his downfall i think that's what happened at liverpool he was kind of given players and told now do your thing and then his thing didn't suit the players he was given went to where did he go after liverpool Celtic was given a little bit of leeway. His system worked. And then obviously he came here. And as I said, I think he's a yes man, was given what he wanted, like what was given what they wanted him to have. And they know that they could do this with him and give him shit and he'll just get on with it. So yeah, it's kind of probably a bit of both. They haven't backed him, but at the same time, does he seem like the person that's going to come out and fight his corner? Not really. If he gets fired, where do you see his next job being? Do you see it being in the Premier League or maybe a return to Celtic? Or I wouldn't be. Uh, he won't be welcome back at Celtic. Um, their fans are quite against him now. Uh, I think he could get another Premier League job. I think, honestly, I think his best bet would be like a West Ham. Again, if David somewhere gets going, uh, is it that that kind of level of club? West Ham. I think he'd do well at Palace kind of get good I don't think he's a top manager but I think he's on that echelon of can improve a stable club so if he went to a palace he could I'd hate him to do it but he could improve Crystal Palace he could improve West Ham I don't think Palace need him to be honest they seem to be going quite well under Vieira they've not got too many I think they're down the bottom at the minute which is awful shame but they will stay up but Rogers, I think, you give him a good side. Give him a stable club, he'll be fine. I've just had a look at the latest managerial odds for who could potentially replace him thanks to the Leicester Mercury. Uh, Thomas My Frank second. is the favourite at 13-8. to eight. Do you think he'd want to leave Brentford to go Leicester, bearing in mind there's no cash? Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, Sean Dyche at 5-2. to two. If you're Leicester, you really want Sean Dyche? Mauricio Pochettino at nine to two. He's not taking the Leicester job, is he? He's not taking the Leicester job. He's just turned down the niche job, hasn't he? Because he said he wants a big club. 
Rafa Benitez at six to one. I don't think I anybody. Apparently, he's. I did see that. Apparently, he's kind of said to someone at Leicester, "If you want me, I'm free." Thank you, but no. <laughs> I think it's that time of year. I've noticed he's come out and done a few TV interviews as well recently, and spoken about his time at Everton. So I think it's Bielsa? that time. I think it's that time of year where Benitez is looking for some more cash. Bielsa, Family... I could see it, Leicester. Yeah, I was going to say, funnily enough, he's the next one at 7-2. I'm not sure the Leicester players would like that, bearing in mind what he did to the Leeds players. Who's in the Championship? Daniel Fark is 9-1. to one. I don't know where he is. I remember him Daniel being... Daniel Farker. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's at 12-1. to one. Dear Lord, don't do that. Steve Cooper's at 12-1, to one, but I can't see him leaving Forest, can you? Ugliest man in the world. Uh, I Dean think Daniel Smith... Farker's at Gladbach. Is he Dean Smith's at fourteen to one? No. Scott Parker is at fourteen to one as well. I could see them doing that, to be honest. Roy Hodgson's at sixteen to one. I reckon that might be worth a bet. Beautiful. Southgate will be free by then. And I'll stop at Nathan Jones as well because I don't know who he is. He's a bastard. No, he's a, he's a loot manager. He's a he coach at Charlton. He is. The moniest man you'll ever meet, but there is quite an extensive list. I'm not going to read through it all, but it, it goes all the way from Lucian Favre at 21 to Sam Allardyce at 66 to one. Why Hodgson? I'll have it if they want. Do you think Leicester City will stay up, or do you think yes. this is the year that they'll go down? No, they'll stay up. There's too much shit in that league. Mm-hmm. They will find they will find enough points. They've got enough players. Telemans, Madison, Vardy. They will pull through. Uh, I still think Bournemouth and Forest go down. I still don't rate Southampton's chances. Leeds, I think, could be 50-50. So, yeah, I think they'll be okay. I mean, as I said, I wonder if they are tanking, but doing enough to kind of stay up. Well, they're going to have to improve because they've lost six and drawn one. Moving away from Leicester and on to a new managerial appointment because obviously Graham Potter left his post at Brighton very recently to join Chelsea. And Brighton have now announced his replacement as Roberto Di Zebri. Have you ever heard of him? Not a clue. Right. I, I can take you through them because I do actually know a little bit about this guy. He was a footballer in Italy because he's Italian. But he wasn't anything of note. He started his career at AC Milan, but very quickly went to places like Monza, Salernitana, and had a brief spell at Napoli in about 2003. 6 to 2010 finished his times at some club called Trento but he has had a pretty decent managerial career so far he started off at Palermo which isn't a bad side they are now do love their pink <laughs> shirts he was sacked like division 4 but it, that was after relegation but he's it, kind of had a mixed bag well, I, don't in... think, I think kids I'm assuming depending on the date obviously I can't know for sure. I'm assuming his sacking at Palermo came when Palermo were in trouble for all sorts of naughtiness. After it just says here, after a penalty shootout elimination in a home match against Serie B club Spezia, De Zebri was sacked. So he got relegated. But I'm pretty with them, sure Palermo don't exist anymore. What? Palermo don't exist anymore, I don't think. Mm, holy moly. Oh, they do. No, they do. But they're in division like four. He then went on to uh, Benevento, which was uh, Serie A newcomers at the time. 
despite he then got them relegated as well. But they apparently liked the style of his football in Italy. It's very quick possession-based attacking football and they were quite pleased with his transfer business as well but obviously it being a very small club punching well above its weight he didn't really have much chance to keep him up he then went to Sosuolo where he did quite well almost got him in the uh, conference league but uh, just got beaten to it by Roma on goal difference that's a bit harsh but uh, he then went over to Shakhtar Donetsk Right. Where he won the Super Cup. Oh, and he did win them the league title as well. And he then left because of obviously the uh, the other issue that we can't talk about on YouTube. With the neighbouring country. Yes, which was country versus country, shall we say. And he's just rocked up on a four-year deal at Brighton. So we'll... Leave that one as that because... Congratulations, Zebra. Yeah, Dan doesn't know anything about it and my knowledge is quite limited. In other news from today, Mark Noble, who retired at the end of last season, I believe it was for West Ham, Mm -hmm. has just signed for West Ham, but not as a player this time, as a sporting director. Obviously, there's a lot of titles going around at the moment. Technical director, sporting director, director of football, football director, head of... Sporting directors, football directors of sporting. How do you feel about all these players now becoming members of the board and becoming directors and stuff? We've seen it, obviously, with the likes of Edwin van der Sar, Mark Overmars, although we probably shouldn't say too much about that one. It's happened at Manchester United with uh, Darren Fletcher. There's Edu Arsenal. Edu, Edu is at Arsenal is another one. That's a good shout. I'm trying to think of who else there's been. I think Steve Walsh was at Leicester for a little while as a... Director mm-hmm. of football. Yep. Um, do you think this is a good thing for football clubs that former players are becoming directors? I mean, if they're good enough and they have enough knowledge, then why not? But you, it's a tightrope to walk, isn't it? Are you hiring them because they're good at their job or are you hiring them because of their link to the club? And in the case of West Ham, I said this to Ryan before we started recording. I think it's we've started shit. The fans are a bit uneasy with David Moyes. Here's Mark Noble now sharp. But Mark, we again we don't know. He could have a lot of knowledge. Like it seems to work. It's worked some places it hasn't worked either. I guess it's based on the knowledge of the individual person. I don't really want to make assumptions because I've never met Mark Noble. But from the little I've seen of him online, good luck. This does strike me as a little bit of a more of an ambassadorial role, I suppose where there's been a lot of talk about him being involved with the youth side of things so that like he can sort of introduce West Ham's heritage to young West players Ham's coming through. Play. The famous West Ham way. Yep. Yeah. Not sure what that is anymore. Since 1964. Since before Pete was born, probably. So about 1862. Um, yeah, Napoleon. I know, right? Pete's got a story about that as well, I'm sure. Many queens he's been through. <laughs> well, that's a completely Elizabeth different story about what he Victoria. does on Friday <laughs> Bless him, he's not here to defend himself. But um, bad, it? So you think that if they're experienced enough or if they've studied for the role or if they have any sort of talent towards it, you're all in favour of players becoming 
directors because obviously it was something that it was leveled at Manchester United for very many years that they didn't have any football people on the board. They didn't know what they were doing. It was just Edward Ward doing whatever he felt like. Woodward. Yeah, I think I think you should always have football people on the board. But as again, you need to make sure it's people that have the right understanding of football, etc. Because if you are hiring someone because they're a club legend, it means jack shit. So I think you need to make sure they have that right understanding of the game and what you're trying to do as a football club. And then if it makes sense, then it works and you can push on. But yeah, I again neither I can't I don't know Mark Noble, so I can't comment on his personality, but he's very soon out of the game. He's very soon out of the game, which which would worry me slightly, I guess. Well, that was my criticism of Michael Carrick when he became a coach. He immediately went from retired player to first team coach at Manchester yeah, at United. Man United. So, and it was just kind of like, I had an argument, I remember having an argument with Pete about it and he was like, no, 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 no. And it was sort of like a bit kind of weird because Pete was saying that Man United should be the best and should be doing better than they're doing. But then when you employ someone with no coaching experience at all, that's okay. And that was kind of a bit, mm, excuse me. But to be fair to Mark Noble, he does, he's been at West Ham his whole life. He's gone through the youth setup. He's been captain of the club. He's probably done his coaching badges. I've heard that he's been abroad and he's done like a media training. He's done like a, a course on sort of how yeah, the media works and stuff. Most footballers have to now. Sure. Uh, it was like a famous university in America or something. It's like Harvard or somewhere like that. It, like you said, I think a couple of years away from the club and then come back and do that role, I think is a good thing. But yeah. you think... You think this would be more of a trying to placate the West Ham fans because they're not doing great at the moment? It stinks a bit, doesn't it? It does, to be honest. It stinks a bit. Like, it might not be, and it might be something they genuinely had planned. But just the way they started the season, the kind of unrest that's going on a bit at West Ham at the minute, it stinks of them going, look, here's Mark Noble, shush. We'll bring your favourite one back. Go on. Stay quiet. We might bring back Paolo Di Canio. Freddie Canute. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on from the Premier League, I do want to talk to you and I want to ask your opinion about shirt numbers yeah, on the yeah. backs of players' backs. Because Andy Carroll has recently turned back up at Reading. Obviously, Andy Carroll being a big, big striker. But I don't know if you've heard, yeah, he's no, wearing no, the number two shirt. Yeah, he should be shot. Right. Okay. Carry on. I'm just... Number two is for a right back. Now, I think we've had this discussion on this podcast before, and I think the only difference we had was four and six. Because I think you said four at the back and six in defensive midfield, where I said six at the back and four in midfield. However, I get annoyed when this happens. Number two is a right back, and number three is a left back. And and this, no, you're a striker, wear 27 or something. Don't wear two. Because Wilfred Bone did it at Swansea. And that pissed me off as well. This is how one is your keeper, two is your right back. For me, five and six are the centre backs. Three left back, you can have four and eight in the middle, seven and 11 on the wings, and nine and 10 as a striker or a cam, and 14 for an attacking player. The rest, you can do what you want with. 13 is a keeper. And then I use 30, but some people use 23. And what is your opinion about players like Trent Alexander Arnold that are wearing like 66? Or I think, is it? Donnarumma that wears like 99, 99 or something. 
so I don't mind it if there's a reason. If it's like the year your nan was born or whatever, or something, something, something personal, fine. If you're wearing 66 because it's a number you got and you just stuck with it, grow up. I wore 23. And what about players' jerseys being retired? Because obviously there's some historic ones like Paolo Maldini's shirt at AC Milan has been retired, never to be worn again. Baresi's shirt at Milan as well. I was surprised that they didn't retire the number 11 shirt after Ryan Giggs retired. You're not allowed what? anymore. You're not allowed to do it? In England, no. There was, so it was until the mid... Like 2008 or something, the Premier League said you couldn't do it because West Ham were had retired the six for Bobby Moore and Nottingham Forest had retired. Is it five or three for Stuart Pierce? It's probably number three. If, if so they were both retired and then the Premier League said you couldn't do it anymore. Uh, I've got no problem with it with it because I think Mark didn't Man City retire Mark Vivian Fowey's number as well. Yeah, but I think that's ex- uh, exceptional circumstances. He sadly died. Yeah. So I think they retired his number as well. But yeah, I don't really have a problem. Again, if he's a legend, fine. Um, I don't like the ones that like Reading retired number 12 because it's the number of their fans. The 12th man. I said, that's embarrassing. Stop it. Um, what team is it? What team is it that they put their mascot on their squad list with a squad number? I went somewhere and their mascot's on the squad list with a squad number. That was. I think a lot for? of clubs do that as to be honest. I'm not sure, but... Why? I mean, it's just to make them feel part of the team, really. Fuck off. It's not like they're registered to play in the Premier League or anything. It's some weird match. Well, West Brom have got a fridge. You get Fred the Red going up against the fridge. Yeah, down the West left Brom's wing. fridge is weird. Man United Charlton, versus West Brom. Fred at least the Red. Charlton, Charlton have a dog and a cat. I mean, it was a fat turkey for a while, but now it's a cat and a dog again. <laughs> Why it was, was it like, a turkey? It was supposed to be a robin. But I'm telling right. you now, if you Google Cholton's Robin mascot, looks like a fucking turkey. Google it. Where's my mobile? Where have I put my mobile phone? Do on your computer. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't trust it. My, this computer. It's getting a real bashing at the moment. Uh, let me try it on my phone, see if I can show you. Genuinely, we, we had a mascot. Mm. Looked like a, it was supposed to be a robin. It looked like a turkey. Yeah, um, it, it was called. We had, it was called was it something in Valiant. Though we had them for about two years. They were shit, and now we've gone back to Floyd and a new version of Floyd and Harvey, a dog and a cat. But is that it? Yeah, look, it's a turkey. <laughs> to be fair, that looks more like a turkey than it does a robin. It's supposed to be a robin. I, That's terrible. I saw it right. Cholton tweeted it out, and I tweeted them back. Why the fuck have we got a sponsor of a turkey? Are these your That's two the now? Ori- That's the original two. I think we need those two versus Fred the Red. We've, we've got like an adapted version of them now. Right. Um, but for a while, yeah, we had a fat turkey. And I had tweeted Cholton when we announced them, why have we got a turkey? It's the, the bloke, knight that goes with it that, that confuses the, the valiant. Me. Yeah, the valiant. Honestly, so that's... When, mm. when the media team tweeted it out, I replied, why the fuck have we got a turkey? And that looks nothing like a robin. And they replied, it's a robin. What did a cat and, cat and dog have to do with Cholton? It was weird. And I replied saying, what has a turkey got to do with Charlton? And I didn't get a response. <laughs> to be honest, there's been some weird bits of stuff done at Charlton. You've got a, a, an owner now that likes to release records and now your turkeys and... But that, that was no under, idea. to be fair, the turkey was under Roland. <laughs> Honestly, I do. Do they still do the great mascot race every year for charity? No, I wish they did. 
either that or they need to do like a charity 11 aside mascot football game with an inflatable giant football that would be <laughs> hilarious wouldn't it put them in those uh put them in those balls you know the the air balls oh my god it'd be like some kind of gladiators <laughs> oh my gosh that'd be a great they need to do that i'm i'm telling you now if anybody's listening to this that's in touch with the fa or the premier league we need a mascots 11 charity game they have to dress up as mascots oh. with an inflatable football but they did do the race the other year because whoever dressed up as zampa the lion like the mill player said that to be like an olympic athlete a oh. former olympic athlete and they were like well i come see one by a country mile and then it came out a few months later they hired like a former olympic athlete who just drenched all the other fat people in outfits uh, this, this has got to be done it's, it's got to be seen I, I think definitely if there are enough mascots in the in the whole of the english game we've got to have 11 you want to see a scary mascot go on look at partic thistles partic thistles mascot looks like the lisa simpson on drugs oh is this the one that's supposed to be a son or something it's fucking bizarre i think we might have it, to do it, a whole it, podcast on this let me see if I can find it. Uh, I think, I think it we might have to save this for next week. You see that? Yes. What was it supposed <laughs> to be? I, I haven't got a clue. Right, we're going to round out the show by talking about football manager. Anybody who's yes. caught some of our early stuff and has caught our scout report segments will know yep. that we do love playing a bit of FM. And it's September now, so... Believe it or not, I've seen Christmas stuff in the shops already. And that also means it's time for computer game companies to start dropping hints about what they're going to be releasing just coming up to Christmas. So, Dan, you've heard a few whispers about FM. So, well, yeah, they're not whispers. for this one. They're not technically whispers. They've come from Foot Manager themselves. Uh, we'll start with the obvious. Uh, Foot Manager will be coming out on the 8th of November, 2000. And 23. Happy birthday, Ryan. Guess what your birthday present is going to be. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, yeah. They obviously have started to, by the way, for people that don't know, it is technically out on November the 8th. But if you pre-order it on the Steam store, you will get two weeks beta access, which I will be having. And so will Ryan because I'll buy it early. <laughs> so will Pete because me and Pete share an account. So <laughs> we will all be playing FM. Um yeah, so that's been announced. They've announced, for people that like it, they've announced it. it's coming to PlayStation 5 and Xbox this year. Oh, um, really? Okay. So they've, they're doing that's stuff with it. It's still going to be out. Well, it was on Xbox, the original Xbox, in like 2014-15. So they've skipped kind of Several. Xbox 360 or whatever it's called and moved to Xbox One, PlayStation 5. Uh, so that would be cool for people that, to choose to use it, I mean, I will use my computer, and obviously, it will still be on mobile. Sadly, Cholton are still in it, which is hugely disappointing. They can disappoint me now on multiple platforms. But I think the kind of big breaking news is they are fully licensed from UEFA this year. Uh, so, so, does that mean we stop getting made up names? So, well, no, you'll still have made up names, you'll still have Zebra, but as in, you will have UEFA Champions League, Euro for Europa League, it'll all be licensed, all the correct. It looks correct. You'll have all the correct stadium business. For anybody who's listening, if when Dan says about Zebra, he's talking about Juventus, but obviously they don't own the individual. They haven't bought the, the individual rights for Juventus, so they're called Zebra There's for some reason. There's one Germany as well, isn't there? Well, I'm, I'm a team in Germany that have some weird names. 
you wanted to talk about stuff that you want to hope was improved. You'd like, to yeah. Think well, I was, that, I was coming to that. Go on, go on. Yeah, I was going to say you would like to think that hopefully they'll buy the rights for the Dutch and the German international team so that you can actually manage them with real players. Well, you can do that. You just got to delete a database in the file. Yeah, but I'll that's too that much hassle. That's too much um, hassle. But I'll, the reason, I know the reason. Sorry, I was going to say, it also defeats the object of me signing German and Dutch players, knowing that they won't go away for international week. Yes, and that's how also, again, I've been through this before on this, but if you are a listener that hadn't listened to the earlier podcast, go back and check them out on YouTube. If not, I'll tell you now, if you ever want to shit out FM, offer a club nothing and 80 million when they play for their country, because they never will. Yeah, as they long as... they have to pay. As long as that's for the, the Netherlands or for Germany. Dutch. Don't go and, and do that with England because you'll end up getting done by your bank. And as well, I believe. So they, they've announced that. Uh, the reason, if people are confused, why Zebra are called Juventus. Juventus, I think it's Pro, Pro Evo, have exclusive rights to Juventus. Right. So no one else can use. Uh, I think Man United have the same with Pro Evo as well. Now, I think that was something they did last year. But yeah, so anyway, they've announced, started to look, into FM. So what I think I'll do is I'll quickly run through some of the hinted features that have been spoke about, and then we'll go into kind of what we would like to see. Obviously, they've dropped, the big announcement is next week. So next next show, hopefully, we'll have some FM announcements to discuss. Um, the, it's it's a video. It's two minutes long. Um, <clears throat> I'll retweet it onto the timeline for anyone who's following us Twitter at Football Funders Pod. Nice plug there. We have, um, it's, it's, a, it's about two minutes. Miles Jacobson, who makes FM, basically starts by saying they've massively improved the team since COVID. So they've been able to hire people for individual parts of the game rather than having like a grouping. For, they, they now have people that do just sound, people that just do the match engine, people that just do each kind of layout. Um, so that was really cool. He They hint at some new tactical instructions, such as uh, a low base in defence, and more information about how you counter-attack and build up plays in a bit more detail, um, which is something I, I will get onto in a minute about tactics and stuff. Um, they've mentioned that there is a new planner, which I don't know what planner means, but what they the man who explains it says that it's if you are looking to sign a player, you know, in Ryan will know, when you scout a player, it kind of tells you how they'd fit in your team. Yep. You can now use your planner to basically try things out in training. So you'll, from what, if I'm, I might overthink this, but from what I heard, you'll have a separate planner screen where you can create tactics and put players where you want them to see how it would work in a game situation. So almost like a, so that's a, sounds like a new feature. Um, So hopefully that looks cool. They've, not they never drop like any big clues, so you don't find out a lot. Obviously, they talk a lot about the branding of Europa League, the Champions League. Uh, there's a, apparently there's an update on regens, or we call them regens. They call them new gens. Are getting updated, so I imagine youth development is going to take a, an upgrade, which would be good. Um, and there's also something small, but I quite like is they're going to bring in supporter confidence. Um, into the game, so oh, they're bringing it back. Interaction, yeah. There's an interaction at minimum, even if it's just them telling you they're not happy. 
there'll be an interaction with supporters, which I think is I was going to say, because it's something they seem to phase out over the last year or two, because normally you'd get like a supporter's reaction to every single signing you made. On you can like still a... get that. That is still there. Is it? Because yeah, you like, have to I... go into boardroom. I was well, no, because like there used to be like a bar of how happy they were with the yeah it's still with the signing. I've not found it. Um, but it's on. If you go to Club Vision and it tells you like how happy the board are and all that. Yeah. If you click on the drop down, it says like fan reaction, and it will show you their rea- your rea- their reaction, okay. your your tactics, reaction to your signings and recent games. But apparently, it look it seems like again we haven't seen any features, so it's all kind of taking what they've said and you working it out sounds like they, they're going to be a bit more interactive with you with in terms of because there's the social media feed yes which is, as much as it cracks me up because it is pretty accurate with the bollocks it tweets yes it's pointless it is i pointless. quite enjoy it actually i must admit it is completely pointless and completely irrelevant but i actually do oh, enjoy i love it some of yeah, the i've scrolled them it's brilliant you'd win five nil your player score four goals and you'd say you ain't that good and that's the like, thing <laughs> It's, it's the other thing that always gets me is like you sign a new player and you put him in his position and then someone's like, why are they playing him there? That doesn't make any sense. It's like he's a centre-back and I'm playing him at centre-back. What are you doing? <laughs> One thing I, I would like to see improved is the scouting system because that seems yeah. to have taken a hit. Because exactly. I remember years ago, just going back a few years, because I didn't play FM for a few years until Dan kindly bought it for me for my birthday last year. And uh, you used to be able to send your scout to any country you wanted and you'd put them, put in the specifics of what you were looking for. Even if you weren't looking for something specifically, you could just be like ages 17 to to 30 and show me all the players in that area, in that league that are two stars or three stars above, suitable for my team. But now if you do that, it doesn't work. Uh-huh. For some reason, they just keep giving you reports on players. The same guy. From, <laughs> it, it only seems to be either from your own league or from teams that have played teams from your league in the Champions League or Europa League or something like yeah, that. You'll send you'll send a scout, for instance, to Nigeria, like just using that at random, and they'll bring you someone who's in the Premier League that's Nigerian. Yeah. It doesn't I sent you work. to Nigeria not to watch TV, mate. I sent you to Nigeria yeah. to watch Nigerian football. And just to be just to be very clear, we're talking about not doing it by a nationality. We're actually saying we're sending you to scout football matches yeah. in Nigeria. It happens with Sweden. You can send them to Sweden. Or in my case, the one that I found that was hilarious was France. I'd send a scout over to France to try and find as much as I could because it was obviously so, there's so many players over there. If you just look at some of the the players that have been linked with the Premier League or come to the Premier League recently, like Leon and Lille had a lot of players that have come over here. And uh, you'd only get reports on like Lille players or Leon players or Paris Saint-Germain players when they played in the Champions League and you already knew about Neymar and Messi. You, you yeah. couldn't sign them anyway. They were completely useless. But here I am getting a report on Lionel Messi when I don't need it. The one thing that I think, and I don't know if you find it as irritating, is set pieces. Yes, they're very rigid. Yeah, and I'm quite particular with who I want where when I'm attacking a set piece. Yes, I'm the same. So I, I like to rotate my squad, but then I have to then go into tactics and change who's at the front post all the time because where it was Amadozic, for instance, who's a machine... If I'm playing 
someone instead of him, I've then got to change it. I want there to be a why why is it I can list the set piece takers, but I can't list my options who's at the front post. I why yes. can't there be an option that you say I want the tallest player in my team at the front post. I want the smallest player defending when I'm when I'm defending a corner, why can't I have the smallest player on the line? Why isn't that an option? It's so simple. Yeah. But to take a corner, I can list 15 players to take a corner in whatever order I want them to be. But I can't say the tallest player on the pitch, front post. I think the other thing on that is I've also noticed that sometimes they need to look at it because it just completely disregards your list of corner takers, yeah. free kick takers. It's like if you've got a free kick taker who's got a rating of 15, which is pretty good for a free kick taker, and then they're on the list. And then you've got a player in the squad or in your first team squad who's got a 16 of free kicks and you just haven't put him on the list. The 16 will automatically overrule the list and take the, the free kick. And that's not what I want to happen because, for example, with... Uh, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this name. With uh, MG, who plays for, for Manchester United yeah. sometimes. Well, contracted. Um, contracted to Manchester United. On FM, he's got a free kick rating of about 16. But I don't want him taking free kicks because he's a striker. I want him in the box ready to finish any spilled chances. Because I've also got, I also base my set pieces around how the team will shape when the the set piece has been taken. So when they're falling back, I don't have my left winger attack the far post if the corner's coming in from the left, because that means the team's lopsided and my wingers would have to switch mm. on the pitch. So I want my left on the left side, my right on the right side. So that I think leads I need me quite, to fix that. Yeah, that leads me quite nicely onto my next thing. I want an option to say, rather than having to pause the game and do a manual switch, I just want a touchline instruction to swap wings. Yeah. What? what? We live in a world where that happens in the games. Like they swap wing backs in real life. Yeah, do unfortunately, you know what I mean, you, like you have I want to, to do it at the moment. You have to like go in, click on the player, go into their mini menu, and then go into their player instructions, and then click so switch wings. If we can do, we can do all these shouts and tactical adjustments with like the quick tactic change on the board that you can do now, which is which is a cool feature. I will admit that's kind of new last two years, but I won't be able just to tell my wingers like. Can we sort of reset the minute? I've got a save with Scarborough in non-league. And I'm playing a three centre-backs, one DM, and then a four in midfield. And I've noticed that sometimes I've got one defensive winger and one like that is a normal winger. And obviously some teams will have a better left wing-back than they will a right wing-back. So rather than manually swap, I can't be like, can you just go over there? <laughs> I just let them swap. There's two other things that I want to see changed. One is the interactions with players because some of them don't They're make shit. sense to what the player is saying to you. Uh, and they're, they're, it just doesn't work out. For example, I had a player on my Man United save. I bought Conor Gallagher. I signed him. He came in. We won everything because my win streak is ridiculous on that save. And then after a year, he wanted a new contract. And there was no option on there for me to tell him to piss off because he'd only been there for a year. So I wasn't going to give him a new deal. And then there was stuff like, uh, I was manager of Newcastle and Paul Dummett came to me and said, I want to leave. I feel like I've achieved everything that I'm going to achieve here. 
and Newcastle haven't won sod all. Uh, so he's achieved nothing. So where's the response of, well, you haven't actually achieved anything here yet. So give me a better reason than that. You know, I think their answers should just be a bit more, a bit more logical, make a bit more sense. The one that keeps happening to me, which gets on my nerves, is you'll make a, you'll have a, a player will come to you and say, I want to leave. And you'll say, all right, you can leave if we agree a price. Mm. And often say you make an agreement on £40 million. You'll continue a day and then the player will go, oh, I don't agree with the value that you've. Yeah. But hold on, after we've just agreed. Yeah. Forty million yesterday. I can see now you're pissed off because now you want it to be twenty. Yesterday you were quite fine. Where the fuck's that? I think it's based on because the conversation you have is with the agent. Yeah. So the agent's valuation is different from the players, but shouldn't the agents and the players that should probably be the same? Two other quick changes. These will be my last two. One's very quick. I would like the option of being able to be a director of football rather than being a manager. That could be interesting. So you hire the staff and hire the manager. So you're basically running the club instead of running the team. That could be fun. But the yeah, biggest they one... They Sorry, don't go have on. to do that badly. Oh, that's Miles a shame. Need to put that in the game. Uh, but the biggest one I do want to do, and this is something that I've wanted for a long, long time. And we've talked about this before. And I want the option of being able to manage the under-23s or the under-18s. Because it would be great fun if we were to do like a multiplayer over the internet like we normally do. But I could be your under 23 manager and develop the players that you want to come through for hmm. the main the, the first team. Also, very quickly, what they do need to do is sort out the, the AI for the under 23s and the under 18s managers. Because I've seen stupid tactics where they've not had any enough players available in the under 23 squad so they put the goalkeeper up front yeah they need to sort that out because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't help the development of the players just use grayed out players <laughs> they're there anyway so yeah but it's not your choice is it it's no the but it's in the computer should just yeah. use grayed out players or just call someone up from the under 18s for crying out loud also I think that's something that I want to see improved because I think that it creates more of a story say like you said you start as an under 23 manager at Man United yeah, but then then you get a job at Newport. Yeah, or even if you could just go under 18s manager, under 23s manager, first team manager, whatever. Bosh. Yeah, that would that would be you great. You could do it. You could do it in national level. Yeah, already. so why can't we do it at club level? And then actually, my last thing: international management, which I know is a very niche. People, some people don't like it. Some people do. I quite enjoy international management. I want, and it's a bugbear for me I rest my players after pretty much every game if I manage Cholton come out of a game on a Saturday Sunday I rest the players Sunday Monday two days rest for everyone when I have an international break and I'm playing Saturday Wednesday Saturday why can't I tell my players to rest between because technically they're in international camp they're under my control when I tell my players to rest I can't pisses me off <laughs> Like, for example, you're at a World Cup, right? So you get the squad, you get the players in, obviously this year, in normal circumstances, you get them at the end of May. You'll have two, maybe three friendlies, then a group stage where it's maybe three games in nine days. Then you'll have a quarterfinal, 
and the semi-final and the final, and that's normally across, what, a week and a few couple of days? Normally, by the time... I want to rest my players, because by the time you get to the final, your players are clapped. Yep. Like, uh, I know they're clapped in real life, but, like, they're like their levels are... They're not even, like, a full heart. Like, they're half-heart. Mm. They last in... And you'll get, you'll get injuries left, right, and centre. And on that note, we're going to end the podcast. So, once again, go over to our YouTube channel uh, football funders podcast give it a subscribe like some videos leave some comments and follow us on football funders or is it fball funders on twitter it is, it isn't is. It? Yeah. and you can also get to us at football funders pod at gmail is it done yep gmail.com uh, so get in touch with us if you want to once again shout out to the proper blokes club and let us talk mental health the football team raising money for mental health charity mind and also a quick shout out to uh, her game too who have exploded since we interviewed them last year. If you want to hear Dan's interview with that, that is actually downloaded on YouTube right now. The title is It's Her Game Too. So thank you very much for joining me, Dan. Merry Christmas. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Or we won't see you next week. Bye-bye.